walking a little gingerly because I tripped while I was running Friday, and I was hoping I wouldn't be limping anymore, but I still am, so that's why I'm limping. When we were driving uh, here this morning, I said to Lynn, I love the timelessness of Scripture. It's a timeless book. I hate it when preachers talk about being able to make the Bible relevant. You're irrelevant if you say something like that. Uh, This book is a timeless book. Now, there are a lot of titles I could have given this message. The Woman of Samaria. The Woman at the Well. If you knew the gift of God to never thirst again, true worship. He told me all things that ever I did. The Savior of the world. And there are many others as we read this chapter, but I've entitled this message, I Know Who You Are. I know who you are. Verse 16, Jesus said unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. Now he obviously knew that she had already had five husbands and that she was cohabiting with one who was not her husband. He knew this already. Yet he says, Go call thy husband. And come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. I've heard preachers say that this was him confronting her with the sin that was in her life. I wouldn't say that's not altogether true, but I'd also say this. How easily could he confront me and you with the sin that's in our life right now? I believe more than anything else, he's telling this very likable woman, and she is very likable. I know who you are. I know who you are. Look in verse 1, John chapter 4. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again unto Galilee. Now here we're having an issue. Who's having the most numerical success? Who's baptizing the most people? Kind of a spiritual competition. Who is God using the most? You know what the Lord did? He departed. 
he left. He's not going to have anything to do with that kind of thinking. Verse 4, and he must needs go through Samaria. Now listen to this. There's only one reason why he must needs do anything. He said, I must be about my father's business. You see, one of his elect was there. And he was going to call her to himself. Now, some people say, well, he had to go that way to get to Samaria. I repeat, the only reason he must needs do anything is he must do his father's will. And he must needs go through Samaria. Verse 5. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there, and you know it's still here. It's still here. It still exists today. Jacob's well. It was given 1,200 years before this took place. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Jesus being wearied with his journey. Do you know he had the same physical limitations that you and I have? He became weary. What happens when you become weary? I've heard someone once say, you know, he never hit his thumb when he was hammering a nail. I kind of doubt that. I'd say he probably did because he has the same physical limitations that you and I have. Yes, he's God, omnipotent, and he is the man, Christ Jesus. Samaria was a place a good Jew would not go. Why? Because the Samaritans were there. Do you remember when the Pharisees were criticizing the Lord in John chapter 8 and they said, Sayest we not well that thou hast a Samaritan? Thou art a Samaritan? That's the lowest thing they could call him, so they thought. You're a Samaritan, and you have a devil. You're demon-possessed. The Lord goes to Samaria and sets thus on the well. He had an appointment to keep. He was waiting on someone to get there. A woman that he had loved before time began. A woman that he had come to die for. And he sat thus on the well, being wearied with his journey. And it was about noon. Verse 7. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Now, this is significant. 
noon, hottest time of the day. When women would draw water for the day's activities, and that was a lot of water. It wouldn't be just a bucket full. It was a real job. They would get there early in the morning before the heat of the day. Now, this woman comes at noon. Why? This is conjecture, but I believe it's because she knew nobody would be there. You see, through her life, she had uh, made herself an object of judgment, criticism, and ridicule. Now, I've already read where this woman had been married five times. And the person she was currently with, she was not married to. And because of her life, I'm sure that when the women would get together, they'd say, there she is. And they would make disparaging comments with regard to this woman. And no doubt, she had issues. I mean, if you've been married five times, I'd say you have some issues. And somebody says, well, it was the spouse's fault. Well, maybe, but you still got issues. Five times she was married. And we read, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. And I'm sure she was shocked when this Jewish man said this to her. She'd not had a Jewish man say, Give me to the drink. Give me something to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Verse 9 then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Things haven't changed, have they? You're always going to have one group that considers itself to be superior to another group. The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And this pretty much makes up the fabric of human activity. One group feeling that they're better than another group and uh, taking advantage of another group or mistreating another group. Racism. Racism. One supposed race considering it to be Superior to another race. You know, racism is really stupid because there's only one race. We have this in the wealthy crushing the poor. We have this in religion. One religion feeling itself to be superior to another religion. Even within, quote, Christianity, we have denominations, each denomination thinking they have a little bit more uh, answer than the other, a little bit closer to God, a little bit better. Men believing themselves to be better than others. The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. I'm just a woman of Samaria. I'm sure she'd never seen this happen, and she was shocked. What are you doing asking water of me. Verse 10. She was given an answer that she wasn't expecting. 
Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God. You know no natural man knows that salvation is a free gift. Not one. But he says to this woman, and I'm sure she wasn't expecting this. If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. If you knew, you'd ask, and he would give. Now, I say this to everybody in here, including myself. If we know, we will ask. And he will give living water. Now, here's the state of the natural man. We're ignorant. Ignorant. That's the only word to describe us. Ignorant. The natural man does not understand the character of God, nor the character of salvation being a gift. A gift given by God. A gift with no strings attached. We can't comprehend that. A gift with absolutely no strings attached. The gift of God. Salvation is a gift. It's called the free gift. There's nothing you need to pay for this gift. It's a gift that cannot be bought. You remember when Peter said to Sam, Simon Magus, you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. This gift is infinitely above anything that you could ever give to pay for it. You can just take that way of thinking away. Christ is the gift of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He's called the unspeakable gift in Corinthians. This is a gift so glorious, so high that human language cannot be used to describe this gift. You know, one of the reasons that uh, a painting on a, port a portrait of Christ on, on canvas is so ridiculous. It's idolatry. Could, could we put his character on a canvas? Can't be done. He's the unspeakable gift. A spiritual gift. A gift by grace. I love this. The gift of righteousness. The gift of righteousness. Now righteousness is not something you can do to be. It's a gift that he gives. The gift of righteousness. Did you know that faith is called the gift of God? If you exercise faith, he gave it to you. That's why you believe. Repentance is called the gift of God. If you repent, it's because he gave it to you. 
That's why you're repenting. Eternal life is the gift of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, the gift of God. Now, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that saith did he give me to drink, this is no mere man. This is not just a Jew. This is the creator of the universe. This is the God-man. This is the second person of the Blessed Trinity. This is the one who has the power and the ability to give you this gift. Aren't you interested in having this gift? Well, I sure am. Whatever gift he has to give, I want him because I know he has the power to give. You know, I can say I'll give you this and I'll give you that. Well, I, it might just be pie in the sky and I might not be able to give that gift, but he does. Because of who he is. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, get me to drink, you'd ask. You have not because you ask not. If you know who he is, you'll ask. If you don't ask, you don't know who he is. If you know who he is, you'll ask. You'd ask. And he would have given you this living water. <coughs> and that's not simply talking about H2O, as we'll see. Verse 11. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well's deep. 135 feet deep. About like a 12 or 13 story building. That's how deep this water is. You don't have anything to draw with. You don't have a bucket. From whence then hast thou that living water? She still didn't know what he was talking about. Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Oh, he's infinitely greater. He's infinitely greater. She didn't understand that at this time. Verse 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. You drink this water, you're going to be thirsty tomorrow. You will thirst again. And you know that can be said of anything in this world life you will thirst again if you get everything you want you'll be thirsty again if you try to find your satisfaction in your job in your marriage in your family i don't care how good it may seem you will thirst again with regard to anything in this life you will thirst again that is a promise you will thirst again. But, verse 14, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. 
If the Lord gives you the water of his grace, you know what you won't do? You won't thirst for anything else. You know, I've seen religious people so many times, even responding to the message they hear, they say, there's got to be something more than that. You ain't heard. The only thing that will absolutely satisfy anybody to where they're not thirsting for anything else is to trust Christ alone. I trust him alone as my righteousness before God. I trust him alone as my sin payment. I'm not looking anywhere to myself for anything, but I look to everything to Christ only, and I have nothing else. I'm plumb satisfied with that. I'm just satisfied. You give me anything else, I'm starting to thirst. Lord said, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, this living water, the gospel, Jesus Christ is all in my salvation. All. I'm not thirsting for anything else. Colossians 2.10 says, In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete. There's nothing to thirst for. You are complete, lacking nothing in him. Now, the only way I can be satisfied is if I lack nothing. In Christ, I lack nothing. He says, but who's what? The water that I shall give him shall be in him. A well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, this is talking about the new birth. The Holy Spirit. The new man in Christ Jesus. Do you know it'll never die? You'll die physically, but that new man you have will never die. Eternal life. That same life you'll have in heaven. Somebody says, well, it doesn't seem that good to me. Well, I know it's because you've got the flesh right now, but one of these days when the flesh is gone... You know you won't be more holy in heaven than you are right now. Your holiness is Christ. And that's going to be an everlasting water springing up into everlasting life. Verse 15. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not and come not hither to draw. Now, she still didn't know what he was talking about. All she knew is if I have this water, can you imagine what a hassle it must have been every morning for a woman to get up early in the morning and go and bring all the water for the day's activities for her family back? And she thought, I won't have to do that anymore. It sounds good to me. And I won't be thirsty anymore. That sounds good to me. That's all she could understand. Verse 16 Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, I love the way he says this. Thou hast well said, I have no husband. You've stated this very accurately. For thou hast had five husbands. 
And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that saidest thou truly. <laughs> what the Lord is saying is, I know who you are. I know exactly who you are. The woman's perception, verse 19, the woman saith in him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Now she'd never met him, and he tells her that she's had five husbands. She did have five husbands. And he tells her the one that she's currently with is not her husband. He was telling the truth. And she makes a perception that you and I would make too. He must be a prophet. I mean, I've never met him. Don't know anything about him. And here he makes this statement with regard to me. He must be a prophet. And so she reverts to religion. Verse 20. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. You say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now he was, she was talking about the difference between their denominational distinctives. Now the Samaritans, we, we think the only proper place of worship is in this mountain right here where I am. And you Jews, you say the place is in Jerusalem. That's the place. She was started talking about the differences between religions, her religious mumbo-jumbo. It didn't matter, but she, I guess, starts act, talking religious, kind of like the, uh, when somebody hears that I'm a preacher. You know, if I'm talking to somebody and, and they find out I'm a preacher, they talk differently. They'll talk religious. And I'm just sitting there thinking, please don't do that. But um, that is what takes place religion and she starts her religious mumbo jumbo where what is the place you ought to worship now we we have contemporary worship but there's traditional worship over here we have uh we have uh traditional music and we got a rock and roll band at this church i mean we take your pick you know they're talking about all these denominational distinctives i love the way the lord answered this verse 21 Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me. Now there is a reason why she believed. The Lord commanded her to. That's where her faith came from. You know the Lord never offers salvation. I hate it. I hate it when people talk about any aspect of salvation being God offering you something. God's offering you the forgiveness of sins. God's offering you eternal life. That makes your salvation dependent upon your acceptance or your rejection of God's offer. God does not offer. God does. Always. Woman, believe me. You know what that woman did? She believed him. The hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Places are not even an issue. Now it was under the Old Testament economy. You were to worship toward Jerusalem. And the sacrifice was in Jerusalem. And that's to teach us that salvation is in Christ. But what our Lord is telling us at this time, the Old Testament is now being done away with. Jerusalem is not the place to worship. Worship is not a building of bricks and stones and mortar. Worship is in every child of God in their heart. Let's go on reading. 
Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship you know not what. Your worship is ignorant worship. You've got all kinds of religion and it's meaningless. You worship you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Now when he says salvation is of the Jews, he's not talking about that physical nation. They were just as lost as the Samaritans were. Every believer is the true Jew. Let me back that up with scripture. I turn to Romans 2. Verse 28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Now, how many different ways are there to take that? He's not a Jew which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which was outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Romans 9. Salvation is of the Jews. Verse 6, it's not as though the word of God has taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, fleshly Jews. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. One other scripture, Philippians 3. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision. We're the people truly circumcised. The circumcision of the heart. And he gives a threefold description which worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Now there's the true Jew. He worships God in the spirit. If I have not been born from above, worship is impossible. I can't worship God except I be born of the spirit. It's the spiritual man that worships. You know, I've said, made reference this Wednesday night, people uh, talk, well, I'm, I'm a spiritual person. You know, they usually mean that by I'm, I'm not exactly religious, but I'm spiritual. I'm, I, there's, I've got a lot of depth to my soul. I care about things. I'm so, no. The only spiritual person is the one who's been born of the Spirit. The natural man doesn't even have a spirit. That's what died. In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. He has a body and a soul, but he doesn't have a spirit. But when someone's born from above, born again, they're given this spiritual nature. And it's that spiritual nature that rejoices in Christ Jesus. They look only to Christ for everything in their salvation. Not looking for anything else. They have no confidence in the flesh. And go back to John chapter 4. Salvation. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. Remember how the Lord said to the Syrophoenician woman, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I didn't come to save everybody. I've come to save the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
That's who he came to save, the true Jew. This Samaritan woman will soon be, or maybe she already is, a true Jew. Verse 23. But the hour cometh, and now is when the true worshipers, a lot of false worship in there, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Now, worship is worship of the Father. There isn't any worship without worshiping the Father. God as he's revealed in his word. And the Lord said, no man cometh to the Father but by me. Now he says, true worshipers shall worship the Father. You know, when we pray, we're taught to pray our Father who art in heaven. He's not everybody's father. Remember that group he said, you're of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you'll do. That's what he said. He's not everybody's father. He's only father to those who believe his son. They said, we have Abraham for our father. And he said, if Abraham were your father, you'd love me. The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit, by the Holy Spirit, by the being birthed of the Spirit, the spiritual nature, and in truth, according to the truth of the gospel. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Do you want to be somebody he's seeking? I do. I want to be one of these people. God is spirit. He's not bound by space. He's not bound by time. God is spirit. He's omnipresent in the universe and he's omnipresent outside the universe. You cannot go anywhere where he is not in his fullness. God is spirit. He's not made of parts. He's spirit. And they that worship him must. This is absolutely necessary. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You know, God doesn't use error. You hear that? Why should he? Somebody says, well, he can use error if he wants to. No, he won't. He's a God of truth without iniquity. God only uses the truth of the gospel. No one is born of the Spirit apart from the word of truth. God is Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Verse 25, the woman saith unto him, you know, still at this point she didn't have any idea what he's talking about. <laughs> she was in the dark, and she knew it. The woman saith unto him, I know the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he'll tell us all things. I have no idea what you're talking about. When the Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things. And the Lord says something to her that he never said to anybody else. I that speak unto thee am he. 
He didn't say that to anyone else. He gave this woman such assurance with regard to who he is. My dear friends, faith is believing who he is. And he revealed to this woman, this very likable woman, who he is. I that speak unto thee am he. Verse 27, And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. They wouldn't have spoken with her. Yet no man said, What seekest thou or why talkest thou with her? You know, they had learned, I think, by experience that they better not say something to the Lord like that. Uh, they kept their mouth shut. And that was wise at that time for them to keep their mouth shut. Verse 28, the woman then left her water pot. That's what she brought to draw the water with, but somehow she forgot the importance of it. She left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Now, let's think about this woman's testimony. Let's think about her message. Come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Now, is she just talking about, he told me I had five marriages. And he was right. And he didn't know me. Well, yeah, that's included. But when she says, he told me all things I ever did, listen to this real carefully, and this is the gospel. Have you all seen that commercial, Jesus Gets Us? I cringe when I see that commercial. It's a marketing effort uh, to make Jesus more marketable. He, he gets us. He gets us. Yeah, he gets us. <laughs> Not like what they're saying. This woman came to understand that all things she ever did was sin. All things. You haven't understood sin until you've seen everything you've ever done. Everything is sin. If it's got your fingerprints on it, it's sin. There is none righteous. No, not one. Yeah, things are bad in our day. Things have just gone down, gone down. You're the bad one. I'm the bad one. She learned that everything she had ever done, even the good things, it was sin. But you know what else she learned? That everything she'd ever done was absolutely sinless and perfect. How's that? You said everything she did was sin. It's called the gospel. It's called justification. You see, Christ took her sin and put it away and gave 
her his righteousness. And she now has a new history. And it's all good. It's sinless. You remember that publican crying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. What did Christ testify of that man? I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, sinless, without guilt. Now there you've learned the gospel when you've learned all things you've ever done. All things you've ever done are sin. This sermon I'm preaching to you, you know what it is? It's the truth. I'm preaching the gospel, but I am well aware of the fact that because I'm in it, there's sin in it. Now God the Holy Spirit will bless his word, not because of me, because of who he is. If I did it, there's sin. But this is also true with regard to me. I've never sinned. When the Lord said to that woman at the well, not at the well, but who was taken in adultery, woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. He said, neither do I. Why? There's nothing to condemn her for. That's what Christ accomplished on Calvary's tree. He put away my sin so that I now am sinless. Truly, this man, the Christ, he's told me all things that ever I did. Then they went out of the city and came to him. And the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, and I know he's referring to this Samaritan. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest, and he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans, here's the end of the story. Lord willing, I'd like to go back and look at certain sections of it and maybe preach five or six messages out of uh, this. But I just want to look at the whole story right now. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. They heard the Christ preach. And they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Whoso believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. He's a prophet the prophet, like no other prophet. He didn't say, thus the Lord, saith the Lord. He said, I say unto you. He's a priest like no other priest. 
He doesn't bring the blood of an animal that could never take away sin. He brings his own blood into the presence of the Father. He's a king like no other king. Every other king has borrowed power. They're actually his pawns. He's the one who has all power, controlling all things. This is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now, if you'll be saved, it'll be because he saved you. He is the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for your word. How we thank you for your salvation for Samaritans like us. How we thank you for the living water that you give your gospel that causes us to not thirst. Lord, enable us to see by your spirit, by your grace, for your glory, what this woman and these Samaritans saw, that your son is your Christ, the Savior of the world. Enable us to believe on him. In his name we pray. Amen.